Welcome to the Real Estate Marketing Podcast. My name is Jerome Lewis. I'm your host for today. The Real Estate Marketing Podcast is a podcast where we talk marketing, tech, business, and leadership. We talk these things for real estate agents, real estate investors, and real estate entrepreneurs. The Real Estate Marketing Podcast is a podcast with two purposes. Purpose number one, to educate and inform our audience and listeners. Purpose number two, John. John Lewis, I'm going to say your last name because that's an awesome last name. The spotlight you, your business, your service, or your product in a way that provides value to you, including market exposure and content creation. With that, we have John Lewis and his bio reads. He grew up on Long Island with a, oh, you went to Drexel, Drexel University in Philadelphia. He drove back and forth through New Jersey often enough and said he never, he never lived there. Now he owned a big house on an acre of property right smack in the middle of it. It took him a long time to get in real estate. Three big didn't do's that cost him a lot of money in college. The space over it in near Powhatan Pizza, the apartment in L.I. City. What's that? Long Island Island City. It's in Queens. Long Island City. Okay. He spoke to someone at a networking event. He showed them that three misses and are three good reasons for him not to forge ahead in real estate investing. John, I'm excited to have you here. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. You're welcome. So tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about that bio. Uh, give us a story. Like what, what made you write your bio like that and help so us understand. I'm, I'm looking at three and there's only two there, I guess. Um, you know, sometimes I can't count. I always tell people I can't walk and chew gum at the same time because uh-huh. like <laughs> if I'm on the phone and I'm trying to work, it just doesn't happen. Um, and so the third one there that's missing is that, um, me and my wife, we were living in North Jersey and we were looking to buy a house and we walked into a duplex and, uh, the real estate agent we were working with suggested that we buy the house, rent out once one, one apartment and live in the other. And we hemmed and we hawed and we went home and we thought about it, took a couple of days. And we went back to him and we said, yeah, you know, let's, we're going to do that. It sounds like a good idea. And uh, lo and behold, it was gone. And, uh, you know, that would have been a good way to get into the, uh, into the real estate space at that stage. And um, when I talk about um, in college, I was living a, a few blocks down from Palatine Pizza, if anybody knows where that is, West Philly and where Drexel is. Um, and there was a lot of renovations going on. I was living with a bunch of other guys in an apartment that was renovated by a woman who took a, you know, a shell of a building and turned it into a beautiful apartment. We were able to live there. And there was a opportunity above Palatine Pizza. It was kind of like the same, same scenario. And my father was dabbling in real estate at the time. And uh, he was, he didn't want to do anything. And I was in college, I didn't really know how to do it. so. I just let it go. And then um, in uh, <laughs> the phone rings. And then um, <laughs> and then uh, the, the last one, Long Island City, my wife and I were living in Manhattan at the time. And they were put a brand new building up in Long Island City. And it was New York City wanted the area to become developed and have more people move in there. So they were offering apartments for way below market rent and or way below market price and we could have bought like a one or two bedroom i can't remember which for like twenty five thousand dollars and we passed a couple years later it was worth one hundred and fifty thousand dollars so um 
real estate, uh, when I went to the networking event, I mentioned that because the guy pointed out to me that um, it's something that I kind of guess I've had a knack for as well as a natural interest to. Um, you know, we all grow up with limiting beliefs and um, based on our upbringing and um, real estate along with some other things was one of those things that, oh, you can't do that. You know, you shouldn't be doing that. And well, here I am, I'm doing it and um, I'm starting to get some traction and get some success. So thanks for sharing that story. So uh, there's like some myths and there's a perception around like real estate investing and real estate investors. So what I would like to do with you today is I want to demystify some of that stuff. And the, f the, the way I want to do that is I want to ask you one question. So in your words, John, tell us what real estate investing is. So for me, uh, well, real estate investing is a huge global thing. I mean, there's all kinds, but for me personally, um, what I do is I do a couple things. I, I buy properties and I fix them up and I'm either going to sell them for a profit, a typical fix and flip, or I buy them and then I rent them out and I use the Burr strategy, which uh, if anybody on here is listening and they have any kind of experience with real estate, it's, it's a buy, renovate, um, rent it out, refi, and then repeat. And um, it's one way to grow because you can recycle your money or recycle your investors' money. So um, that's that's what I'm involved with. Okay, so real estate investing, there's the one of the most common things about real estate investors is that they have all this money, they're rich, and they're just stealing properties from people. Uh, what do you have to say about that? Uh, no, <laughs> uh, far furthest thing from the truth, I mean, um, one of the great things about real estate, though, is that you can forge partnerships and work with other other people's money. Um, you know, you, a lot of people think you have a lot of money because real estate's expensive. Um, you know, it takes a lot of money to get involved with it. But if you network and you work with people that are interested in partnering with you and they have money to invest in a project, then you can both make money with it. Um, another myth about real estate investors about stealing properties so we don't look to steal properties um you know there probably are always a couple of bad apples and they give people a bad name they give a group a bad name they give a bushel a bad name however that phrase goes and uh what i like to do is i like to bring on a win-win scenario to people that i buy houses from a lot of times um somebody could inherit a house you know somebody passes away and here lo and behold they get a letter whatever now you're in the will and they have this house and the person that was living there has 30 40 50 years worth of stuff in the house and the new owner has no idea what to do with it they don't really want it um and so they want to sell it now if they go the retail route you hire an agent You've got to clean it up. You've got to repair it. You've got to bring it up to, you know, today's standards or whatnot. You have to invest a lot of money into it. A lot of people don't want to do that to take the time and the money. So we offer a, an alternate path. Um, so I don't know how that's stealing from somebody. You know, if they if they want to if they want to sell the property for less than 
market value because it's not up to market standards, then that's that's okay by me. And that's what they want to do. Um, another myth is that uh, real estate investors are slumlords and that kind of thing. Um, again, you have a few bad apples that spoil the cart. Um, I just rented some. I just rented a building in uh, in Runnymede, New Jersey. I put. I, I renovated. It used to be a mixed-use building, and I legally converted it into a duplex. It's fully separated. I got two three-bedroom apartments. And I got two beautiful families that live there right now, and they're very happy. They're living in central air conditioning, central heating, brand new mechanicals all around. And you know, I don't, I don't, um, I, I am not a slumlord by any, any means. Um, I, I, as an ethical person myself, I, I couldn't do that. So, you know, the myths are the myths, and even on Facebook, some guy was calling me a slumlord and and all this stuff and i'm like you know what are you gonna do <laughs> yeah one of the things that i um I, I don't think people realize is that like investors they're doing like great in a community service and i i have to be mindful like we're housing providers right because we're providing these houses we're taking these properties that have issues that are distressed that aren't always the best shape we're giving other people opportunities and removing people from bad opportunities. So um, that's something that I just want people to understand and be educated on. And like you said, a few few bad apples spoil you a bunch. So yeah, and you're right. I mean, we are housing providers in the sense that, um, for example, you know, if there's a blighted property on your street, right? It's vacant. The previous owners they had some trouble. They they had to get foreclosed on or whatnot. And so the property's just sitting there. The grass is knee high, you know, the roof is falling in and the shingles are falling off. Uh, we come in there and we renovate the house and make it all nice. We're improving everybody's value um, just simply by doing that. So, um, and like you said, we a housing provider with, I'm, I've got families that are renting from us and they're very happy. We take care of them and, you know, we, uh, I, I consider them part of my family. Yeah, that's, like, that's beautiful. Do you, so there are like some common questions that a lot of people get. I understand because I've, you know, worked with some of these uh, home, home sellers myself. And I want to ask you some of those questions in a way that, uh, you know, they can understand as well as our audience here can understand. First question I have for you is like, do you, which you mentioned, but I want to hear you go into it on detail. Do you, do you pay fair fight, fair price for properties? So we believe we do. Um, so like I mentioned earlier, um, what we do is we buy blighted properties, problem properties, um, things that need repair work. Um, if someone has to put in 50 to $70,000 into their house to bring it up to market standards, um and say market standards are two hundred thousand dollars just to just to you know put that out there um and and we can work out a deal where we're buying it for a hundred hundred twenty thousand dollars that's really a fair price when you consider it because we're putting sixty seventy thousand dollars into the house and we're taking on the risk because um there's no guarantee that we're going to make money on the house um we're taking it over from the person that needs to sell it and doesn't want to put that in there. So um, in order for it to become market value, you have to 
make that investment into it. Thanks. How do you determine what to offer on a house? So very simply, there's a formula um, to help us out as real estate investors. There's like a universal formula. And that formula is 70% of ARV. ARV is the after repaired value. So using that um, $200,000 level is too, too too hard for math wise. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna use $100,000. So 70% of $100,000 would be $70,000. And you take 70% of your ARV minus the repairs let's say it needs $30,000 in repairs. Now we're down to 40. And what's a fair profit margin? At that level, probably $20,000. So if I'm buying the house, I'd be at $20,000 in that particular case. Now, everything is always different. These are, um, these are just guidelines. You know, um, we're not always buying houses at 20 cents on the dollar. I don't think I've ever bought a house at 20 cents on the dollar. I'm more in the 50% range. Um, and we work with contractors that um, we don't have to pay retail price to our contractors because we do repeat business. So we get a little bit of better price than your average person. So uh, that's where we come in. And that's how we price our price our deals. Are there any fees or commissions when working with someone like you? No, we usually buy, um, we'll pay your title fees. And um, the only thing that we can't pay are your taxes. <laughs> so, you know, when you go to the closing table, we're going to pay for the settlement costs. Um, and like I said, you'll have to pay for the taxes, but that's generally the way that works. Okay. How are you different from a real estate agent? So I am a real estate agent. Um, okay. I'm a licensed realtor. I don't do that business. I'm what they call a secret agent because um, I don't get on the phone and cold call people and say, do you want to sell your house? I am different from a regular real estate agent because those folks, um, they charge commissions and um, that's the way they earn their money. Uh, we don't charge any commissions and that's the reason why there's no fees as well as the fact that we're paying closing costs um but what the advantages of working with someone like me is um i have to keep my license and part of keeping my license is taking continuing education classes every two years and within those ce classes are there's an ethical component as well as other components. So um, realtors by nature, um, they have they have a duty to be ethical in their business dealings. And so um, me personally, before even being a realtor, I've always considered myself ethical. So I am ethical twice over, if you will. Okay. Is there any obligation when I submit information like if i want to sell you my house i have a conversation with you am i like obligated like are you going to coerce me from our property what is that process like no so um <laughs> we don't want you to do anything you don't want to do um a lot of times people will click on our links and they want to sell in six months or whatnot and we'll suggest that they go find a realtor or if i can recommend they work with a realtor um 
but we'd like to just have a conversation with somebody. And um, worst case scenario is we come check out the house, we develop an offer that we feel is uh, works for both parties. And I am not going to try and convince you to do anything you don't want to do. So that's not me. And um, if anything else, we part as friends. That's the way it works. Thanks. Uh, in, in the green room, before we got here, you talked about like creative deals and creative strategies. Can you tell me what that means? Like, what does that mean? And how would that look for somebody working with you? Sure. So um, the market has changed dramatically since, say, six or eight months ago. You know, we went from this really crazy seller's market. Uh, people were getting multiple thousands of dollars over their asking price and then the interest rates and the inflation kind of kicked everything in the in the uh in the ass and just changed everything around and um it's now more of a buyer's market so houses are sitting on the market for longer um and people people that are selling are still up here people that are buying is, are, are down here and so what we try to do is Either we can offer seller financing, which if somebody wants to sell their house and they don't need a lump sum of cash, um, they can become the bank. So, you know, we give them what we both agree on would be a fair down payment, whether that's 10%, 20%, 50% or what have you. And then we pay the balance over time. That would be simply seller financing. Um, another example <clears throat> would be something like a lease option. Um, we can work out a strategy where the people, if they, again, if they don't need to have a lump sum of cash, if they don't have to go buy something with that cash, uh, we can work out where we would find a lease buyer uh, is different than a regular tenant buyer. We would find somebody that's interested in buying their house, but say they don't have, you know, a 750 credit score and they can't get bank financing. So we find these people, they'll come in with a large down payment. You'd be surprised the money people have saved up for houses that can't buy a house because of the bank guidelines. And they put a nice down payment on the house and the owner gets a piece and we get a piece and it becomes a situation where they sell the house over time. So um, mostly the creative situations are that. We also work, um, we like to, we we're thinking about doing these partnerships now with owners because we're running into people that are inheriting homes like in active adult communities um you know it's a sad thing people will pass away you know it's part of life right the circle of life um there's only two things that are certain in life and that's death and taxes right so um somebody's gonna die unfortunately and then they're gonna leave that house to somebody else and whether that's a son, a daughter, or what have you, um, they might not know what to do with that house. And if they don't want to just sell it at the price that we're looking at, then we'd like to maybe partner with them where they hold on to the house and we work out something with construction costs and we sell it at a full market value and we work on a, a profit split. So those are just uh, three examples that I can give you right now. Thank you. Um what is for your sellers, right? What is the biggest challenge that you see them facing? And tell us how you help them help them resolve that challenge, how you tackle that challenge for them. 
Um, the biggest challenge is what they think the homes are worth. Um, like in the instance with inheriting a home in a 55 plus community, um, you know, a lot of these homes are filled with stuff um, for 20 years worth of goods. You know, you, you accumulate all kinds of stuff. When you move, you, you're just shocked how much stuff you've accumulated. Um, maybe somebody doesn't want to move all that stuff out. And the best way to try and bring somebody to reality, if you will, is to show them comps. Um, we have from the, um, from the MLS, there's comps for a brand new renovated house and there's comps for a house that's as is. And you can easily see the difference in pictures. Um, you can see the as is house has like, uh, you know, the 1970s kitchen uh, paneling and that sort of thing. And the brand new renovated house has um, soft closed cabinets as well as granite countertops and, um, you know, maybe some marble flooring or whatnot. So pictures, as they say, say uh, are worth a thousand words. Thank you. For for a seller that's like trying to work with you or maybe they don't work with you, maybe, you know, what would you say is the most important like quality or trait that they need to have to make the process like smoother? Um, to make the process smoother? Hmm. I'm not sure I understand the question in terms of like what are you looking for. So here? to so to make things faster, right? I want to sell this house. Maybe I'm I don't fully understand the, you know the comps, and I'm not a professional like someone like you. Like, what do I need to be like? Do I need to be? Uh, it could be open-minded, cooperative, educational, informative. It can be like any of those things. Like, what do you think? What's your sure. perspective on that? Um, absolutely open-minded. I think. Um, I mean, we've we've talked to a lot of people that are just they just stick to their guns, um, but then you know, several months down the road, we're talking to them again, and they've changed their mind. So if you want us, we like to close in thirty days, um, and you know sometimes a little less depending on title. If you want to sell fast um, and for cash, you have to understand where where we're coming from and where you are. And a lot of times it'll be far apart, but like I said earlier, it's because of the money that needs to be invested. The time, time is money in real estate. So you have to have an open mind and you have to be willing to be flexible. Okay. Where, where would someone like, where would a seller start getting like education? Is there a website? Should they have a consultation? What does that process look like for them to go through the process and not feel like they don't know anything that's going on. Sure. So um, they can go to my website, uh, which is beaconbuyshomes.com. And um, I have a blog there that every week I put out uh, various topics. Um, and they include everything from selling my house with a real estate agent, selling my house with, you know, to an investor, um, and all kinds of other things. And there's an FAQ there as well. And we do have a, um, a, uh, <clears throat> a, whatchamacallit, where you put your, your name, your, your email in so we can contact you and talk. Um, 
I don't think it's fair to talk to somebody that's got no idea what's going on. If they want to ask me questions, I'll talk to them all day and I'll educate them in whatever they want to know about how this process works. Okay. And can, can you tell us again, like where the website? Yes, it's www.beaconbuyshomes.com. Okay. Thank you. So next, this one might be a little tricky, right? Because our audience is uh, typically like they're entrepreneurial and we're coming at this from an angle of the consumer, the seller. So with that, I would ask you, um, how how can a seller start to... How can they start to learn more? Like say they're like, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to visit this website. Are there any books that you recommend or if they're like, you know, scared to get on the internet or don't want to visit your website? Is there a process you recommend they go through books, anything like that? That's a stumper. Uh, you need for, you're talking about, um, yeah, I'm a seller and I heard John and I'm like, I just want to learn a little bit more in detail. So like, how can I be more educated? Is there a website or anything like that? If they didn't want to go to my website, um, I would say probably come on a podcast like this and listen to somebody like me. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Uh, I appreciate it. And with that, I hear... Um, I remember when we, before we set this up, you talked about like you had like a video series uh, that you've done. Was that relevant to this or what, what was that like? Well, that was, so my business has um, two faces, if you will. Okay. Uh, there's the consumer face uh, where I'm looking to work with sellers and buy their homes and become that housing provider that we talked about. And then there's the business and investing phase and the business and investing phase is where i'm looking to work with people as partners um, and private investors and private lenders so the video series that i started with in uh, november was it was a 500k challenge to raise money for my business Um, you know we talked about it earlier um everybody thinks that real estate investors are just swimming in money um it's not true um for me there's two things i need in my business i need deals and i need money to buy those deals so even even the most wealthy people they have a finite sum of money so there comes a point where you can't use your money anymore um so the video series is is in regards to raising money for my business through partnerships and private investors. Okay. Thank you. So there is, um, let's say I'm a seller and maybe I don't have a property, but I'm like, okay, I listened to this podcast. I enjoyed John. He gave me some good information and, but I, I don't have a house, but I still want to give him value somehow. How would I do that as a seller or a consumer or somebody that's not ready to do like right now? What would I do to bring value to you or your business? As a seller? Yes. Um, I would say um, if they think they're going to be selling sometime, then or someone let's, get else. In, let's get in touch. Say that again? Or someone else. What do you mean? Or some, Or if they know someone that might if be ready they, to sell. 
That's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. See, brain freeze. You know, the, the funny thing about real estate is um, it freezes my brain. I, I tell people this often because when I was in a W-2 and I'd be in work, whatever, you know, all of a sudden there's a fire you need to put out. I'd be able to relax, um, think about what the issue is and, and take it. With real estate, it just it just plays me differently, if you will. Um, sometimes my brain just freezes up and says, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And uh, and then I talk to some people and I figure it out. So it's a little bit different. But, yeah, I mean, if you're a seller or you're somebody that knows people that have to sell, um, that is that is a great way to um, to add value. And what I like to do is I tell people that are that are in the in the business of painting houses or UPS drivers or FedEx drivers, that kind of thing, where they're tr constantly driving around houses. Um, if they find a house that's vacant, because they know they know them, they're going by them every day, and they can provide the information that I need to close on that house, I will give them a $500 uh, referral bonus. So I think that's a fair deal. Absolutely. So let's shift it a little bit, right? You got a consumer facing, and then you got like a back end. Um, let's go to the back end for towards the entrepreneurials and. This section is what I call the closing table. So we know what the closing table is in real estate. So that means we're going to wrap it up. What are three books you recommend to this audience and why? So uh, that is number one is The Secret. Um, uh, Rhonda Byrne, I think, is the uh, author. Um, the Secret is all about the universe and the universe giving back to what you're thinking. Um, it's about um, the, the law of attraction. Uh, I mentioned earlier, well, we grow up with limiting beliefs. And in your mind, if you think that you're not going to get something or not going to be able to do something, Henry Ford said it best. You are either right or you're, 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 you're right either way. You, um, you think you can do it or you think you can't do it. You're right either way. So why think about what you can't do? and think more about what you can do and put it out there in the universe that um, you're going to do something and the universe is going to return that to you. Another book that uh, I like is Fear Less and Sell More. Um, you know, there's selling in everything. And um, a lot of people in sales, and I, and I, I found this out the long, hard way. A lot of people in sales feel the same way about it that I feel about sales. They don't like it. Uh, they're afraid to talk to people about, you know, they don't want to sell to somebody. Um, but it's more about um, learning that you're just having a conversation and, and it's service. You know, you're servicing somebody that to what they need. And so it's instead of being fearful of having to have that conversation, take a different tact and be positive about it. And the last book is Three Feet from Gold. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Um, it's by Napoleon Hill. That's the same author of Think and Grow Rich. Uh, it's about a man who uh, wanted to get into, this is like late 1800s. He became a gold prospector. And he went to the store and he got all of his gold prospecting stuff and he got the maps and he knew of a great mine and everything else. And for years, he toiled in the mines, and he dug, and he dug, and he dug, and he couldn't find anything. 
And at one point he said, I'm just going to give up because I'm not getting anywhere. So the people that he sold his mind to, they just shifted three feet and they found all the gold. So um, my take on that is don't quit. You know, um, I've been doing this five, six years now and things are starting to happen now. And if I quit earlier, I, I wouldn't be where I am today, which, you know, is in the right place. I appreciate that because I think a lot of people get into our business or even sellers and they want stuff to happen right away. And honestly, it doesn't most of the time. It, like sometimes some things take time. Some things take negotiation, talking about it, figuring out other solutions other than what you want right now. It's that open minded thing that you talked about. Like we got to be open minded to opportunities. Sometimes we're not going to get our way. Right. But exactly. there's still a way for everybody to win. So I appreciate right. you sharing that. Sure. And you're, you know, failure, people say you're a failure if you don't succeed. Well, um, you're only a failure when you stop, you know, you may fail at something. Uh, let's look at baseball, for example. Um, a, a good baseball hitter is successful three times out of 10. You know, that means he's failing seven times out of 10. Um, Michael Jordan, he, he didn't, what was it? He didn't make his high school basketball team, I think. And uh, he didn't quit. He went to his backyard and, or wherever he went and practiced his shots and look what he became. So I think the biggest thing is not giving up and having some stick-to-itiveness and to keep on going. Absolutely. There is, like in our industry, um, I learned from, early on, I learned from Ron LeGrand like, about the 100 house rule. And in order to be successful, we got to go through 100 leads. And out of those 100 will come 10. And out of that 10 will come one. But that's all you need to be successful. And a lot of people, they expect like way more than they expect. They think success is a majority. And it's really not. It's like a, it's a minority things. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate the perspective on that. Um, where, What is one question you wish I had asked you and how would you have answered? Um. What was my biggest failure that has led me to where I am today? Tell us about that. So this goes back to quitting. Um, I owned a uh, I owned a window cleaning franchise about, um, geez, it's 12 years now, 11, 12 years now. And um, I was... I had some early success. Um, I built the business up from no customers to whatever customers. My issue was I had employees that um, were employees. <laughs> they didn't want to work. Um, when they were faced with working hard, they, they quit. And so um, I went through that once. And then a couple of months later, I had three or four employees and they all wanted to quit again. And that led me to quitting. And so um, that has ingrained on me that you can't quit. Because if I didn't quit and just kept with it, you know, it would have been a lot different. So um, that big failure has led me to where I am now in terms of not quitting and having that stick to and uh, trying to see the forest through the trees, if you will. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, 
where can listeners find out more about you online? So there's my Facebook page. Um, I am, uh, I think it's the real John Lewis. And um, I also have LinkedIn and um, I have a YouTube channel. It's all under Beacon Realty Investments. So um, I recently hired a VA and she started out uh, putting me on Instagram too, because she wants me on Instagram. So um, I'm starting to get all over the place on the social media. Awesome. Um, I want to close this down. I had a guest. You might know her because she's around like where we met Corey. Her name's Dewan. And the way Dewan closes up her podcast is she gives the, the guest, she says, close us down. One word, no explanation. Can't, no reason. It's like just one word. So I decided to adapt that same concept to my podcast. And I like to tell the guest to close us out and end the show with one word, only one word. <laughs> mm. positivity positivity now tell us why you pick positivity because you have to stay positive to move forward you know um there's a lot of negativity out there family friends your dog whatever they're all telling you you can't do it and they're lying because you can't do it absolutely john lewis this has been excellent i appreciate you so much uh, i'm going to shut us down i'm going to stay on for about three more minutes so we can close it out in the green room thank you so cool. much thank you thank you absolutely so